0: I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 16 at verse 19. Acts chapter 16 at verse 19. The title of our message this morning is Singing in the Night. My, how, to, how out of touch that is with Westminster Church. We can hardly sing in the daylight, especially with our situation that we have. A few people here inside with masks on, that makes it difficult. Those outside, maybe perhaps some of you wearing masks, but nevertheless, you're way out there, we're way in here. We don't have the sense of singing, leaning on one another to help us in our singing. And if we do try to sing through the masks, it's kind of a mumbling sound. So that's why I've encouraged you to mainly pay attention to, to the words. Nevertheless, that is our topic this morning, singing in the night. In chapter 16 of Acts, we are at the beginning of the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas and Timothy, and later, as we learn from verse 10, Luke will join them. Uh, they are, have come to Philippi. The city of Philippi, down in verse 12, we find how they are arriving there. Then in verses 13 through 18, we have these two remarkable conversions of Lydia and the slave girl. And it's at that point that I want to start reading our passage this morning, beginning at verse 19. I'm going to close with verse 25. Verse 25 is kind of the main text this morning, but we'll be considering the context also of that with verses before and after it as well. Here then the word of God, Acts 16, beginning at verse 19. But when her owners, that is the owners of the slave girl, saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. And when they had brought them to the magistrates, they said, These men are Jews, and they are disturbing our city. They advocate customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to accept or practice. The crowd joined in attacking them, And the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight... Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. The biblical imagery of darkness has two aspects of it in particular. One are the hearts of lost ungodly sinners. For example, John chapter 3, verse 19. People love the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. But the imagery also applies to the dark moments of saved godly people. And there are many of those, aren't there? Times of fear and depression and grief and disappointment and discouragement and pain. Even when God, or should I say especially, when God seems very far away. Such as the psalmist in Psalm 88 You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me, and you overwhelm me with all your waves. Can you identify with that? I'm sure there have been times that you can. It is in such moments that our main text this morning, verse 25, can be an encouragement to us. Let me read it to you again. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. What was the background of that particular night that Paul and Silas were in that dungeon? First of all, we learn from verses 4 and 5 there was a time when they didn't expect to be in Philippi at all. As we begin that chapter, and as they begin their ministry, their, probably their main purpose was to head west and go through what is now modern Turkey, it's called Asia the Province, of Asia at that time, and probably wind up at Ephesus, that great city of that time. However, we learn as we look at verses six through twelve that uh, surprisingly, the Holy Spirit uh, directed them away from that. Indeed, in verse six, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit even to speak the word, even to preach the gospel in that province of Asia. So they went north up to Mysia, where there was a large Jewish contingent. That might be a good place for us to start then. And even there, the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So they wound up going further west, and finally, at the city of Troas is where they settled. And probably, this is only surmising, they might have thought to themselves, well, this is why the Lord led us here. Possibly going through Asia would have been very dangerous, so the Spirit kept us from there, as well as Mysia, And so now we're just north of Ephesus, so we can just go down the coastline to Ephesus and we'll be where we originally were planning to go. However, something happened. There in verse number 9, Paul had a vision in the night. A man from Macedonia, which is further west from Troas, he was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so in verse 10, they immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding correctly that the Lord had called them to preach the gospel there. And so it's in verse 12, they finally get to Philippi, a leading city of of the district. Being in Philippi was not just being in that town, there's another significant thing about it. Where were they? They were now in what we call Europe, a new area. Indeed, God's promise to Abraham was coming true. Abram, and you shall all nations of the world be blessed. And now the gospel for the first time was coming into Europe, the ministry of Paul in particular. So Paul and Silas and Timothy and Luke begin that ministry there in Philippi with those two remarkable conversions, Lydia the businesswoman, who we're told God opened up her heart, and then the little slave girl under the influence of an evil demon, and that demon was cast out, and the context certainly indicates that she became a converted person and part of the first uh, membership, shall we say, of the Philippi church. So as Paul and the others saw what was happening, they were really encouraged. They had to have been encouraged. This is great. Now we know why the Lord has brought us here. This is going to be a wonderful ministry. But we'll have a church, flourishing church, going here in no time. But hold on. As F.F. Bruce puts it, regarding the owners of the slave girl, when Paul and Silas and Timothy exorcised the spirit that possessed the slave girl, he exorcised their source of income as well. How often do we hear that phrase, follow the money? And this was a money thing, and they were disappointed they could no longer use that little slave girl. So what happened? Verse 19, the mob goes into action. They seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. It says Paul and Silas. What about Timothy and Luke? Probably they're not mentioned here or they were not seized because Timothy was a half Jew and a half Greek and Luke was a full Gentile, and probably they did not look Jewish. And so that's been surmised That why we no longer hear about them throughout the rest of this chapter 16. But Paul and Silas certainly are uh, before us. In verses 20 to 22, we find that the magistrates to whom they were brought either were unwilling or unable to resist the mob, and so they brought about illegal, painful, harsh, disgraceful punishment Upon them, including the use of, of beating them with rods, there at, at, and many blows at the end of verse 22. Then after that, well, by the way, later Paul would write about that treatment in 1 Thessalonians 2:2. Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, writing of the Thessalonians, we have boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So the difficulties did not stop Paul and Silas from presenting the gospel. Finally, in verses 23 and 24, they are thrown into the inner prison. Whatever this prison system was, they had them an the outer area, but the inner prison was where the really bad guys were put. And they considered Paul and Silas really bad guys because they weren't obeying the laws of the, of the Romans. And besides, remember what they said. They're Jews. We can't tolerate this. No, not at all. And so the jailer then was given instructions to put them there, and so they were put in that inner prison, uh, little air, very little light undoubtedly, dark, cold, dismal. Paul and Silas battered and actually physically bleeding from the blows that had been put upon them. And suddenly there they were in the darkness of the dungeon, the door was slammed shut, and the point, of course, being in that kind of thing with their legs put in stocks, that would mean that their legs were separated to a certain point where it was painful and then locked in place. Very obviously, there was no possible escape from them. And the jailer, of course, knew that. It was his job to make sure that nobody escaped, and he must have thought to himself, there's no way they're going to escape that. But put yourself now in the place of Paul and Silas. They're in this terrible dungeon and this experience, and we can almost see them, uh, hear them talking to one another and saying, what has happened to us? Why are we here? One moment we were being faithful to the Lord, things were going so well, and now look what's happened to us. I ask you again, have you ever felt moments like this. Even when God seems far away and you ask yourself, why has the Lord brought this into my life? Why am I going through such a dark moment? Especially when you find yourself baffled by interrupting what you thought has been as much to your, you could rely on the grace of God to do it, obeying God, doing things pleasing the Lord and suddenly there's the dark moments coming. And if you can identify with that, then you're ready to consider, in verse 25, the midnight hymn sing. If we knew nothing about this text, we would expect Paul and Silas in that dungeon to have been groaning and wailing and complaining and at least calling down curses upon their persecutors. The first we find that they were praying, asking God to help them cope with their situation. Probably as they prayed, they had tears of pain and frustration. They were seeking God's sustaining grace, His support, his comfort in their afflictions. He is praying that in some way their bonds and wounds might somehow help advance the cause of the gospel, although probably at that time they had no idea how that would happen. Undoubtedly, they were even praying for their persecutors, that God would turn their hearts and forgive them. So there they were. Our Lord Jesus is told in Hebrews 5, 7, in the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. We too can cry honest tears of pain. It's only natural that we would do in those dark moments. Certainly, the loneliness that Paul and Silas experienced was supplemented by their concern about what was going to happen to them. They could very well face some kind of execution or a long term imprisonment at the least. And so, the text before us, the setting here, is a, is a very real setting of that time. There's certainly an amount of dignity to it, the description of it here, uh, in the sense that it's so true and accurate. And it teaches us how invaluable is the privilege of God's people to have access to the throne of grace even in those dark moments, those dark nights of our lives. We can call upon His divine mercy in this suffering, suffering, miserable, ungodly world. But the second thing particularly that I want to call your attention to was that in addition to praying, they were singing hymns to God. The verb singing is in the imperfect tense, meaning over and over and over again. They kept singing these hymns to the Lord. Now, when someone is in a situation like Paul and Silas, the last place we would expect any kind of a sacred concert would be there in that prison. Exactly what they sang, we don't know, but undoubtedly it's from the Psalter, from the Psalms. It's been surmised that perhaps it's from... uh, Psalms 115, 118, somewhere in there. Matthew 26, verse 30, that when they, the disciples with Jesus, they were in the upper room, and as they left, they sung a hymn, and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. Yes, on his way to the cross, our Savior Jesus sang, sang to the glory of God, despite the terrible nights that were before him. From his soul, he sang. How were Paul and Silas able to do this in those circumstances? Let me put it another way. Let's bring it up to a modern context. You undoubtedly have known people, perhaps on a hospital bed or in some other circumstance, that they are in terrible physical pain and agony, perhaps facing death, Or perhaps it's not a physical thing, but it's just an emotional, spiritual kind of experience. And yet, from their personality and what they say, they seem to be filled with the joy of the Lord. Their confidence is in God. They have their hope in Him. How do they do that? Because of the same confidence in the Lord that Job expressed in Job 35.10. God, my Maker who gives songs in the night. Or the psalmist in Psalm 42, verse 8, By day the Lord commands his steadfast love, and at night his song is with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So singing in the night is not just some New Testament kind of thing. Way back in the time of the Old Testament, God's people were able to sing in the nights of their experience. For Paul and Silas, they could take comfort in knowing that knowing and trusting in the province of God, which we considered earlier in the service, that they were exactly where the Lord wanted them to be at that moment, whatever the reason might prove to be. Someone has said that the legs feel nothing in the socks when the heart is in heaven. Now, it's important to notice at this point, when we're talking about this, they were not rejoicing because of their difficult circumstances. When they wound up in that prison, their legs in the stocks, the first thing they, didn't, they did not say, the first thing, this is wonderful. This is great. My leg, I need my legs stretched anyway. This is such a wonderful thing that's happened. They were happy about it all because of their circumstances. But in... And through their circumstances, their hope was in the Lord. The Apostle Paul later wrote to 2 Corinthians, We do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we have received the sentence of death. This is very real to Paul and Silas. The songs of the believer is not what you sing audibly from your vocal cords. What is that song? It's that truth deep in our hearts, deep in our souls, that the Lord has put in there, that the Lord has set his love and mercy and compassion upon us, that he will never let us go. And so we sing and can sing in those dark moments. Jesus loves me. This I know, but the Bible tells me so. That's the song of the heart we need to experience. Alfred Barnes, an old Presbyterian minister in the 19th century, when the big Presbyterian church was very biblical, he has a wonderful commentary on on the Scriptures, and this is one thing he said, A Christian may find more true joy in prison than the monarch on his throne. On the cold earth, beaten and bruised, he may be as truly happy as on a bed of down. Now, obviously, we'd rather have things go well for us. We like pleasant experiences, right, rather than painful ones. We like to be happy and joyful, outwardly at least, and not sad and sorrowful. But in either case, our attitude depends, or or the situation depends upon our attitude more than our outward circumstances. So it's because of the gospel that Jesus, we believe Jesus gave his life for us, lived for us, that we might have his righteousness, took away the penalty for our sins, taken upon himself. Because of that, We should have a profound inner joy that Paul and Silas experienced when they sang those hymns in the dungeon of Philippi in their midnight sing. Now one more thing I want to share with you this morning as we build on that is what I call light in the night. Because there's another important thing that comes out in verse 25 we haven't touched upon yet that light came into that dungeon that night. The light of the gospel, the light of the true Lord God, the light revealing sinful hearts. Because what else does our text say after singing hymns to God? And the prisoners were listening to them. They may not have heard them praying, but surely they heard them singing aloud. By the divine providence of God, the Lord is going to bring that singing in particular to the attention of the prisoners, as well as to prepare everyone involved there for the great events that were to follow. And don't forget that on this particular night, beside the prisoners, there was someone else who heard that singing. That singing in the night. The jailer. The jailer. You see, singing in the night can not only be beneficial to believers, but is also a witness to unbelievers. Spiritual light can be displayed wonderfully by our witness in the spiritual darkness of our world. Now, very briefly, as we find what happens after verse 25, many of you are familiar with this. Verse 26, the earthquake. As a result, the foundations of the prison were shaken. The doors were all open. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. Not just Paul and Silas, but the bonds of the prisoners as well. In verses 27 through 29, we find the response, especially of the jailer. When he saw the doors were opened, he took a sword. He was going to kill himself because he knew he might as well because he would be facing the death penalty for letting his prisoners go loose as he assumed that they would escape. But then Paul cried out, No, don't harm yourself. We are all here. And then Paul had the wonderful opportunity present the gospel in particular to the Philippian jailer who fell down before him said, Brethren, what must I do to be saved? And the great answer, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. There may have been more said about than just what's recorded in Scripture. Some people surmise that the reason the jailer asked that was, Help me be saved from my predicament with my authorities, with Caesar. You know, I'm, I'm facing a difficulty. Can you help me how to be saved from that? No, I think the context indicates there's a great spiritual need and that he had heard in the singing and the witness of Paul, in particular, the gospel of Jesus. And he said, what must I do to be saved? You believe on Jesus. Trust in Him as your Savior and your Lord. And then there were the times of the baptism of the jailer and his household, a meal, and then verses 35 through 39, the plan to release them, That's a very humorous part of the Scripture because up to this point, Paul and Silas had said nothing about the Roman citizenship. And finally, they were getting ready to do some more damage to them and suddenly Paul said, whoa, wait a minute here. Uh, Do you realize that you have just beaten Roman citizens? And boy, did the jaws drop and the eyes get wide when they heard that. It was a terrible thing they had done to Roman citizens. Well, as a result of that, They were then, so why don't you you just go? Don't don't say anything. Please don't say anything. Just get out of here. So they're released. And then the chapter ends with verse 40. They went out of the prison and visited Lydia. Then when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. So what had happened here with this very dark imprisonment? Boy, some wonderful things here. Gospel seeds had been planted there in Philippi in the hearts of particularly of the jailer and his household, and we're not told about what happened to the other prisoners, which very well could be, that's what happened. And, of course, from Philippi, the gospel then went to Thessalonica, and then to Berea, and then down to Athens, and to Corinth, and eventually into Ephesus itself, where Paul and Silas probably planned on being the first part of their, their journey. God's grace cannot be bound by the power of men, you always keep that in mind. S.G. Graaf has written, Would the Lord in some similar way not move all of Europe and shake its very foundations? And would the power of grace not conquer Europe? And of course we know that that happened. That is what Paul and Silas must have seen in that earthquake. And one day God will shake heaven and earth as he ushers in the glory of his kingdom. Something to ponder. Why didn't the other prisoners make a break during the earthquake? I think they were so in awe of what they had heard sung and so in awe of the personality of Paul and Silas that they were too shaken to do anything. And so they stayed through the restraining grace of God. This should cause us to uh, pause and evaluate Our testimony before others. David Fettus, the Back to God Hour radio program, said Paul and Silas were singing in the dungeon, but many of us are griping from our mansions. How often do professing Christians express complaints and grumpiness and bitterness? And even nastiness to our shame. If some of these people, maybe some of us at times, have been in the Philippian Christ, uh, prison, we've been, been too busy snarling at our enemies to be singing to them. We need to remember that we live in a society, society where whining and complaining is almost a way of life, everyone's a victim. Everyone's getting a raw deal. It's not my fault. One of the evidences of the Spirit's work in our lives is that we will not only have the song in our hearts that Jesus loves us, but we'll be able to express that in our lives. In Revelation 5, verses 8 and 9, And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. What was the new song? What is the new song of the Scriptures? Is it not in relation to God's marvelous salvation revealed fully to us in the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, crucified, risen, coming again, People need to understand why we have a certain joy in our hearts because those are the truths in which we believe. I mentioned Albert Barnes a moment ago and read something from him. Let me read something else. He wrote, We see the value of a good conscience. Nothing else can give peace. And in the midst of the wakeful hours of the night, whether in a dungeon or in a bed of sickness, it's a more value Than all the wealth of the world. How much better is the new song than whatever song the world can sing? Friends, we need to be ready for those dark nights that most surely are going to come. They may come in a very strong way this very week. Things may go along very well for you, for many months, and then suddenly, wham, there's the dark night of your soul. We need to be ready for those. We need to be ready to sing during those nights. First of all, literally. Now, she said, well, I don't have a singing voice. I don't know much about music. But surely, if you can't even sing them, you can think about the words. If you can sing them to yourself, fine. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our needs and griefs, sins and griefs to bear. Great is thy faithfulness, O Lord God, my Father. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Be not dismayed, whatever betide, God will take care of you. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a rich like me but particularly the testimony of our lives, displayed so wonderful by Paul and Silas, and surely by our Lord Jesus Christ. His faithful singing enabled Paul to write 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. If there are any unbelievers in this room or outside or on live stream hearing my voice, heard this message, heard about the gospel, Jesus dying for sinners and giving his life, being raised for their justification that they might appear not guilty before God's sight, I ask you, has that light shone in your heart? Has the Lord been opening up your heart to put your trust in him? And for those of you who are believers, You know that Jesus loves you because you have evidence in your heart that the Spirit of God is working. Let me close with this quotation from the great Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Any fool can sing in the day. It is easy to sing when we can read the notes by daylight. But the skillful singer is he who can sing where there's not a ray of light to read by. Songs by the night come only from God. They are not in the power of men. Singing in the night, a most practical experience of God's people. Join me in prayer. Lord, we who are your children, by faith in Jesus, again, we thank you for providing him as our salvation. We thank you that in the dark moments of our lives, and there have been many, and there will be many, we may rest with that song in our heart that you love us through Christ. And so may we be encouraged when we go from this place today and go back to our normal activities of daily life. May there be indeed a song in our hearts not just in the day, but particularly in the night. And we shall praise and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.